Welcome to the Juno Report, brought to you by Guide Dog Users Incorporated, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The Juno Report is a monthly audio magazine featuring all things guide dogs, training programs, and items of general interest to guide dog teams. We welcome your feedback, ideas, and suggestions. Get in touch with the Juno Report by emailing junoreport at guidedogusersinc.org. Again, that email address is juno, J-U-N-O, report at guidedogusersinc.org. I love my dog. And now, let's get on with today's program of the Juno Report. And welcome to the December GDUI Juno Report here on ACB Radio Mainstream and in podcast form at our new home in Pinecast. Uh, And if you are uh, listening on ACB Radio and you've stopped uh, receiving our podcast, it may be that your podcatcher has not caught up with our new fancy digs. So you'll want to go up to acbradio.org and sign up for uh, the GDUI Juno Report, and uh, it will then start coming to your podcatcher of choice. Now, of course, what am I supposed to do for the people who need that information and are not listening on ACB Radio Mainstream? Well, we're going to put it in our announcement this month, too. So hopefully you will have caught up with us. But please be sure to uh, let your friends and other dogs know that uh, um, they need to potentially resubscribe if their podcatcher has not just gone over and picked it up. I know in particular that the Victor Reader stream does not do this on its own. So if you like to listen to podcasts on the Victor Reader stream or the Victor Reader truck from Humanware, I know in particular that you need to sign up again. Um, And others, some others may need to as well. If you're using a commercial podcast client, you should be fine and you should still be uh, catching up with Juno. So Juno wishes you all the best of holiday seasons and uh, it is December. We're glad to be in the holidays and uh, moving into that uh, festive time of year, which is sometimes a little bit challenging, but nevertheless a fun and festive time of year. So We're going to have two items this month um, for our uh, Juno Report material, and they fit together uh, just time-wise, so that's part of why we're going to do it this way. And by the way, I really want to remind you that we are still very much looking for content. If your guide dog organization, whether it's a school Uh, training program or an organization of guide dog users, regardless of whether or not it is affiliated with GDUI, we absolutely welcome your content for consideration for the GDUI Juno Report. And of course, we will absolutely credit you uh, with having provided it. And uh, we may even be willing to help you obtain it if you need assistance to record an event or get an event uh, podcastable. So uh, we really, really um, welcome those contributions. And that's what we have this month is contributions that have come in that are worthwhile. Our first contribution 
this month is called Tips and Tricks for Keeping a Guide Dog Team Sharp, and it is provided to us by the Kentucky Anna Guide Dog Users, and it was part of their convention. It was pre-recorded for the convention, and it features several schools, and I think you'll enjoy this. So let's uh, join Terry Turlow from the Kentuckiana Guide Dog Users as she introduces this presentation. And we thank Kentuckiana for sharing this content with us here, because I'll bet lots of you uh, missed the presentation as it aired during their convention. So now we can share it together. Guide dog users of Kentuckiana and the Kentucky Council of the Blind are delighted to welcome you to Tips and Tricks for Keeping a Guide Dog Team Sharp. Get ready to learn about some great new tools as Bill Archie from Guide Dogs for the Blind, Melinda Angstrom from Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and Lucas Frank from The Seeing Eye present their unique perspectives on what you can do to keep you and your dog in tip-top shape. So, let's fasten our seatbelts, put our seats in the upright position, stow all of our luggage, and get ready for liftoff, because here we go. Hello, everybody. I am Bill Archie. I am the field service manager serving the southeastern states for Guide Dogs for the Blind. I have been living in Tennessee for 18 years now, my territory includes Kentucky. Hello, Kentuckians. Um, out to South Carolina, draw a line all the way to East Texas, Houston area, and up to Oklahoma. So I've got a big territory. Um, my main jobs are just taking care of our graduates in the field. I do the, most of the follow-up, um, almost all the home interviews with people applying for a dog and just uh, Speaking engagements like this and whatever they need for me to do in the Southeast, that would be me. So we're talking today tips for keeping a dog active or stimulated during the pandemic. And that is an interesting subject. We actually put out a letter to our graduates on this uh, just about three or four months ago. And it was pretty popular. And a lot of this information is on that letter, which, by the way, is available at our website. Um, guidedogs.com and uh, a, a lot of our lecture material is available to everybody there and that may be a good resource for folks to just to look up um, if you want to look for the tips and tricks letter it's there or any other um, things that might help you not just during a pandemic but in general anything concerning working with a dog certainly one of the first things I'm going to talk about is uh, one of my favorite tricks I've always done with my pet dogs and this, um, this idea comes from actually, um, before I got into guide dog business, I worked with a organization that trained um, police dogs, including narcotics detection dogs. And that was very interesting work. The, the dog is not looking for cocaine or marijuana. The dog is actually looking for his toy that happens to smell like cocaine or marijuana. So to the dog, it's just a game. All he wants to do is find that toy and have some fun. But in order to find that and start that game, he needs to find that toy that happens to smell like cocaine or marijuana. So you always see when the team is working, looking for narcotics, the, the, man, the uh, handler is directing the dog 
to sniff and check out a general area. And in his back pocket, he has that toy. And as soon as the dog hits on it, boom, there's that toy and the game is on. The dog is a winner and it's all fine. <laughs> he would practice to do it again. But one thing about that, too, is it's not like the dog can play this all day long for hours on end or even an hour. It takes a lot of mental energy and physical energy out of them. It's a lot of concentration for the dog. Um, they need to be rewarded. And with the narcotics detection dog, that means they need to have a win. Even if it's set up by the handler, even if there are no drugs that day, they'll set up for a dog to actually find something and get that win. So when you're doing it with your dog at home, the average guide dog, you may start out by having the dog like in a sit stay where he can see what you're doing. You might have a nice special toy. Um, we don't normally recommend squeaky toys, but for this specific game, it doesn't hurt to use a squeaky toy. That's kind of fun. It could be a nylon or whatever else they like too. The dog sees you hide it in a very clear place. You tell him, find the toy. He knows right where it is. He goes right to it. You can click. We use clicker a lot at guide dogs and treat. Or you can just have some fun with them with that ball and then repeat, um, making it more and more difficult. Use your imagination. You know, first you're hanging, hiding in plain sight. Then you're putting the dog in a, a down state or sit stay in a different part of the house where you can't see. You can elevate it up to um, having somebody in the house also hide that toy where you don't even know where it is. And you work with your dog to find that toy. And again, remember you want success. Don't just kind of like hang the dog out there where he's just not finding it and starting to lose interest. That that kind of applies to a, just teaching him stuff and guide dog also. You don't want the dog to go sour trying to learn something. You want them to be uh, having fun and engaged the entire time. As soon as they start losing that, they make it real simple, make them win. Anyway, I spent a lot of time on that one. I do like that game though. Um, you can also... Uh, Work on your obedience. And I, again, I would make this flashy and fun too. Most of these dogs are going to know basic obedience, but get them excited about it. Get them to want to run into that heel position or do a down stay and, and um, just where it's exciting. And you can use the click and treat method for this as well. But also, I think more than that, it just takes just genuine enthusiasm from you. Make it fun, you know, make it crazy. Today's a weird day. It's pandemic day. Let's go do something different. <clears throat> Um, and along those lines, too, um, a lot of our people will sometimes uh, comment that their dog's recall is poor. Um, this is a good time to work on that. And uh, for this, I would suggest that like, you go into a fenced yard and you have a rattle, some kind of pill bottle or something with treats in it that the dog can hear. You call the dog. First of all, let them loose in, a, a, in the fenced in area. And if it's a different area, especially. Give them some time to have fun and be a dog and sniff and investigate. And I mean, give them a good 10 minutes or so. Don't try to call them a re work on this recall right now, right then. Let them enjoy a little bit. Then call the dog Then give the food reward when the dog comes to you. And don't take him in right away. Let him go out and play again. Have some fun. You're turning the recall into part of the play and part of the fun. Again, keeping it positive and upbeat. What you don't want to do is just go out and let the dog run around. And then when you call me, it comes to you. Then you put the leash on and leave. It's like, you might, that's not exactly fun. That's not a fun recall thing to do. Um, another one that uh, was recommended in our letter is to uh, make feeding fun. And, uh, you know, most of these dogs will eat in about 2.2 seconds. We're going to slow that process down. Um, there are, what is the, the cube game? Uh, I forget what the official name of the toy is. Buster Cube, where you put food in the cube and the dog just kind of 
toss it around and, and manipulates it as the kibble falls out and he eats that way. Um, don't overfeed the dogs during this pandemic. <laughs> like most of us, a lot of the dogs are putting on weight too due to lack of work. But that's just their daily kibble that you're putting in that cube. Or you can put some, uh, you put dry kibble in that cube. You can take some moist kibble, moist kibble, stuff it into a Kong and freeze it and then give it to the dog when it's frozen. You can even make that part of that game that I described earlier. It's like find that Kong and find your meal. And then uh, that'll, that'll take them some time to get through that frozen food. But that is just a few ideas. And like I mentioned, there is a letter. It's, it's under the alumni section on our uh, website, guidedogs.com. I think I have said enough. I know there are going to be some more tips coming your way. So I hope everybody out there is doing the best that they can during this pandemic. And thank positive. All right. Thank you. My name is Melinda Angstrom. And I am a regional guide dog mobility instructor with Guiding Eyes for the Blind, which is headquartered in New York State. Although uh, is, we do have graduates nationwide and through Canada and uh, even in some various other countries throughout the world. So I understand that today's topic is how to keep a guide dog sharp and uh, that's a great topic, especially considering the times that we're in. And there's a lot of multiple layers to keeping a guide dog sharp. So let's go through those. Obviously, the first one is getting out there and working your guide dog. Uh, and every guide dog is different. Those of you that are listening know some of you have guide dogs that you travel multiple places with you're all over the place and some of you have more sedate low-key lives where you may have just a few routes that you do with your dogs and um, maybe you handle those dogs each of you handles your own dog in in a different way depending on where you're going and what you're doing some dogs crave the excitement of doing different things all the time and some don't and that's fine because just like people every dog is different and we want to match dogs to particular people in their environments and how you travel, where you travel, uh, and even your, your own temperament, personality, and of course your speed. So that's all important to, um, uh, in the match. So the physical part of that in keeping your dog sharp and of course working them. And right now that's a bit of a challenge. I'm personally, I'm having a lot of grads who are calling in and saying, okay, as our areas have opened up, I've been able to travel a little bit more and maybe my dog is, is still green. Maybe it's a recent grad graduate as opposed to a dog that's been in the field for seven or eight years. And they're like, I, I think my dog needs a little brush up. So there might be some communication between you and your school. And that can be very important, that relationship and being able to get that support and say, okay, what do I do? How do I do this if I feel my dog is, is not quite as sharp right now because we've been sitting for four months or five months? And getting help or support from your school is very important for that. Those of you who may have uh, not had to have curtailed your activities, you might have been out there working your dogs, depending on where you are, uh, whether you're in a more suburban or rural environment or you're in the city. It's a case-by-case -case basis, so it's, it's, it can be different for dog for dog. But anyway, so the physical activity in getting out there on routes, um, 
And if you're using food-based rewards or clicker rewards, you know, maybe bringing that back up, taking a few steps back to where you were when you first started training with that dog and going back to some of that foundation work. That can be very helpful and very important uh, for you both as a team to kind of reset where you are. All right. For you're going to find it's like, you know, as, as they say, oh, it's like riding a bicycle. OK, it's like working a guide dog. Let's let's say that, that it, you know that those skills are buried in there and you and they're buried in there in your dog. So even if you feel you're a little rusty, just going out there and getting back to some of those basics is going to be intrinsically helpful for both you as a team. The other component of that is the emotional component. That emotional relationship between you and your dog is incredibly important. And that means that you're supporting your dog because th- these are stressful times we're in. There's, there's no doubt about that. There's a lot of anxiety in the air uh, about where we were and who's social distancing, who's wearing masks, where it's safe to go, am I in a hot spot, etc. And that's going to travel down the harness handle to your dog. So just remember in that moment to take a breath and say, okay, I do have to support this little dog uh, and making sure, letting him know or her know that they're doing a great job. If you're going back to some of those basics using the clicker food reward or however you were trained in basics at your particular school, that you're going back to that foundation and you're uh, supporting that dog is a job well done. Good job. You can even do relationship games in the home with them, whether it's uh, playing Kong or ball in the backyard or it's playing hide and seek in the house or engaging with them in their favorite toy. These are all mentally and emotionally very important for your dog. Even if your dog is sharp, even if you're like, my dog's fine, I'm not having any issues. It's still important for you to have those sort of relationship games with your dog. Because remember, as humans, we go home and we might listen to music or we get on the phone and talk with our friends or we watch some television or uh, read a fantastic book. These are all things that we do to uh, emotion or support ourselves. Okay. So your dog might need to chew on his favorite toy. I'm going to have some me time or your dog might come over to you and say, I'd like to do some interaction with you. And that's what they need. So we want to want to keep that in mind in uh, keeping our dogs not only physically sharp, but mentally and emotionally happy, because that's the whole package with having a guide dog. Ultimately, at the end of the day, the two of you want to go out there and you want to have fun. Uh, and that's going to go a long ways towards long-term success for your dog. So. In going down to, well, we can talk about some more specifics. Uh, I just recently worked with a graduate in another state uh, who had broken their foot uh, during the pandemic. And so they were out of traction for a little bit and have just begun working their dog again. And so we went right back to the basics of approaching steps or changes in elevation with a heel and having the dog sit and using the clicker and food reward. And within a few reps of this, the dog was like, I got it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Uh, and then we did the same thing with shorelining. We were on a country road, checking in with that shoreline, went back to those basics, clicker, food reward, the dog after a few reps, I got this. I remember, good, we're good to go. And 
having that support for me, especially during this time period with COVID, and her being able to translate that support down to her dog, and the dog's wagging its tail, it's happy, was a big boost in her confidence. Now, not everybody needs that, but if you need more of that during this time period, don't be afraid to say so. Okay, it's okay to uh, reach out and just want to talk to a representative of your school, even if you don't need them to come out and see you, just to come out and say, hey, um, you know, in my trying to keep my dog sharp, maybe I need some support too. And don't be afraid to reach out to your representatives and just say, hey, I just, you know, even if I just want to catch in with you and I'll give you a dog's weight update or I just want to know how you're going and I just need some support from me because we need to be mentally and emotionally happy ourselves so we can give that to the dogs. So do remember to take time for yourself as well. Whether you reach out to your school or you do mindful meditation exercises or um, you want to go on Amazon and you want to buy that one thing that you know is going to be so happy when it makes you so happy when it shows up at your door. It's fine to do that. We're human. Uh, we're not machines. Our dogs are not machines. So don't forget to take care of yourselves because you take care of yourselves. You're going to take better care of your dogs. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me. I enjoyed sharing uh, with you. Be well, be safe out there, folks. We'll talk to you later. Hello, this is Lucas Frank from The Seeing Eye, broadcasting to you from my basement office at The Seeing Eye. And uh, it's an honor to be asked to present. Um, and Terry <clears throat> asked me to talk a little bit on what you can do to keep sharp uh, as, as a guide dog team. And that's a, a very broad question, and I, I had to think about it a little bit to see what, if anything, I might contribute uh, to what you all already know about this. I think that, you know, dogs go through different stages in their lives and our relationships. For those of you who have had a number of dogs, you, you know this already, that uh, you reach a point of really sort of mutual understanding that is just uh, a joy to experience. Uh, but getting there is half the fun. And particularly in the, the new time when people have dogs, there are some things that you can do that you need to think about. You know, a dog spends the first uh, year plus of its life with a family. And although the families are coached uh, by all the schools and the, everyone has their own techniques and approaches to help a dog develop uh, into a guide dog, they're fundamentally, most of the day, most of the time, they're dogs. And uh, and they don't have, a, a, they may have some basic obedience skills and so on and so forth, but they're certainly not guides and they're immature. And when they come into training, they, they, they're, they're, the, the ask on them goes up, what they're asked to do goes up, but they're still young and inexperienced guides. And they're also just plain young and adolescent dogs. And a lot of what you want to do with a dog, most of the time that you're with your dog at home, uh, the dog is in unstructured time. You are your home. You're hanging out, watching TV, working, having dinner, cooking dinner, washing up from dinner, uh, on the phone with friends, whatever you're doing. And your dog is having unstructured time. And uh, that's fine. They need to relax. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. 
But having a dog that's responsive to you is key. When I look at myself and how I relate to my dog, I talk to my dog all the time. I say the silliest things to them you could possibly imagine. I hope the Alexa in my house isn't listening to me because one day they'll play that back and I'll be very embarrassed. But when I want something to happen, when I want my dog to be under control, my relationship with my dog changes. And I go from having my dog as an almost quasi-human friend that I talk to and say, where's mom? Is she in the kitchen or is, 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 she, is she, did she go out? What do you think? You know, and my dog looks at me and doesn't tell me much, but we have a good conversation about it, or at least uh, I have a good conversation. But then all of a sudden, I want my dog to behave. I want it to do something. And I think one of the keys that, and again, all you experienced folks, you know this inside out, upside down and backwards, but for those of you who are on your first, possibly your second dog, you know, it's a different game. And you're going to want to switch from having dog as friend to having dog as dog to you as person or master. All right. And that means you go from, where's mommy? Is she outside right now? No, come here. Come, come, come. Good girl. Sit. Not. Where's mommy? Is she outside? Come here, sweetie. Come here, sweetie, right now and sit down because mommy's going to come in. We don't want to jump on her, okay? Come on. Come on. You switch from being the friend to talking to your dog in language that is clear, concise, and using commands that are familiar to, to it through your school and as your school has, has taught you to use them. And that re requires a change in attitude, a change in voice. Not nasty, but very clear communication. It goes from, come here, sweetie. We have to sit down and wait for mommy to come in to come. Come. Sit. Sit. Good girl. Okay, come and sit. Good girl. So it's a change in attitude from being casual communication to being clear person to dog direction. Once you get harnessed up and get out on the street, what tends to happen is the, the stress level mounts, even slightly. Let's imagine you come to a street, which is a bit of a challenge one you cross all the time, but you got to be careful there. You got to pay attention. The, the natural human tendency is to get to that corner and focus. So you get to the corner, you go, good girl. Let me see. Okay. That lane's moving. I just heard that start. Now there goes. Okay. There's that lane. Good. I'm getting ready to go. Okay. Good girl forward. Bang. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with that, except that there was very, your focus, as, and rightly so, is on the traffic movements. Remember to take a second when you get to that down curve and engage the dog. The praise that happens at that point can be pretty perfunctory. Good girl, because you're really just doing it out of rote. You're not up there listening. You're, you're up there listening, rather, and you're not focused on the dog. You're, the dog got you there. Now you've got to make a, a very smart and careful judgment. Take a second. Add that to your praise. Give them a good scratch and a pat on the head. Good girl. Pat them up. And now you're ready to go. You've got them engaged. They've gotten something from you. You've soaked up some stress from them and you're ready and you're ready to start across the street. Same token on the other side. Take a, take a second to engage the dog. Re-engage the dog. Scratch them up. Pat them. Go on their way. Some, for most dogs, that's a very reinforcing and refocusing thing. I would say that for some dogs who are so focused on going, that's an interruption and may actually work against you. So it's not blanket advice. It's, it's really uh, it's, it's advice that you want to take and apply 
to your dog uh, as you know it to be best. Okay. One of the other things, we all get into routines, you know, uh, where we always, you know, I drive to work the same way every day. Most people will walk to work or walk to the store or whatever the same way every day. Uh, try to try to break that up. Try to give the dog some, especially if you can build it into your route. So if you start at A and go to B, see if you can go through Q and P on the way. So you go around go around a slightly different way. Vary your routes so that the dog stays a little bit sharp. Uh, and you can, and the dog gets some excitement out of, of seeing a slightly new environment, a little bit different environment. So let's say, for example, that you, you come out of your house and there's a bus stop right there and you get on that bus. It might be a good idea to walk to the next bus stop so that the dog is actually getting exercise. I used to say that the devil makes work for idle paws and a dog that doesn't get enough work, a dog that works from the front door to the bus stop right outside the door and off the bus and into work is a dog that's not getting enough work in many situations. Anything that you could do to vary that, get off the bus stop, get off the bus a block early, two blocks early, walk in the rest of the way if you can. Uh, and of course, that's not always possible. You know, paratransit, same way, if you're getting door-to-door -door service, if you can get out from that store and go for a walk around the block before catching the paratransit back, the, you're, the better off you are. Uh, obedience exercises. Schools do them differently, uh, but it's also an, a good way to keep your dog uh, in tune with you. Uh, it may be often, I think, obedience exercises are best done uh, piecemeal so that you find ways to... Uh, Re reward your dog and demand of them in a very limited and very uh, controlled setting. There are often places in your routine where you can have an ask of your dog that the dog's tunes into you for. For example, uh, let's say that <laughs> you're taking your dog out to relieve. You can do a sit and a down and then put your leash on the dog and then go out to relieve the dog, come back in and get them their evening biscuit or whatever it is that you do. But just that little sit and down while they are eagerly waiting to go somewhere or do something, they'll be eager to do it because they see it as the key to getting what they want. That's, that's very good. Another very good way of tuning your dog into you and keeping keeping it focused on you. Um, I know that uh, Bill talked quite a bit about uh, what's been going on with, with COVID, and I haven't heard his presentation, but it has been difficult of late, and I appreciate all of your efforts uh, to keep your dogs sharp uh, in a time when, for a lot of people, it's been very difficult to get out, and I wish you the best of luck going forward as we hopefully come out of this COVID disaster uh, in the next weeks and months. Thanks very much. Okay, and uh, thank you, Kentuckiana Guide Dog users, for sharing that uh, part of your conference with us, and uh, we sure appreciate that, and I got some great ideas myself from hearing that, even though it's not my first time to have heard that presentation, and I appreciate it very much. We are going to have another presentation, actually from Lucas Frank. A few months ago, I mentioned to you all that I had received a couple of items from Dan Kaiser, 
who used to um, manage the GDUI Juno report before me. And um, Dan had a couple of items he thought might be worth airing again. And uh, we aired one of those several months ago, an interview with uh, Michelle Pouliot that was um, really fun and great. And she talked about her career with GDB. And now for um, our uh, Juno report this month, we will have Dan's interview um, with Lucas Frank. And uh, this is this is also just really, really great. If you haven't heard this before, uh, you'll enjoy it. And if you have heard it before, you've forgotten it because it was almost five years ago. So let's join Dan and Lucas now. We're chatting with Lucas Frank from The Seeing Eye. And what is your official position these days? Uh, sitting. Sitting. As opposed to the standing... All right, that's... My official title these days is Senior Consultant for Special Projects. Talk to us a little bit about the history of mobility, the air conditioning, because I thought that was very fascinating. I trained a fellow named Abe Karp. He's, he's long dead. Uh, but I, he, uh, he lived in Grand Junction, Colorado, and uh, he got his first dog. He, he, he lost his sight in, in, I believe, 1920. Six. I asked him, I interviewed him actually, and, and uh, I, I said, can you tell me what the most significant thing is from a mobility perspective that's changed in all the years that you've been traveling independently since you lost your sight in 1926? And I thought he would say something like, well, the traffic is much quieter and the cars are faster, or God knows what I thought he would say, but I was pretty sure it would be something along those lines. He didn't hesitate for a minute. I said, so what was the most significant change? from a travel perspective and he said air conditioning and i said what what are you talking about and he said no air conditioning really was the most significant change i said why and he said well before there was air conditioning every shop that you went by the door was open at least in the summer spring and fall and you could tell where you were completely by scent you didn't need much else once there was air conditioning all the stores closed their doors and you couldn't smell any could smell anything anymore it had a tremendous impact on my ability to get around. And that really surprised me. Oh, it just wasn't something I had thought about. And it's something that I, I think in, in cultures other than our own must remain a very, very significant thing for you. And that's the story. And I can just imagine, you know, you go by a shoemaker shop. And, of course, there were shoemaker shops in those days. You know, you go by a pharmacy. You go by a grocery store, fruit stand. You can imagine all the different, you know, sort of, olfactory landmarks that existed on a route, you know, in those days. It's just not there anymore. Let's talk about the impact of mobility today. What do you think is the hardest and most difficult thing that's impeding blind people? And I'm sure it's not the air conditioners not being smelled. What do you think is the hardest thing for blind people and guide dogs today? Well, I, I personally think that, 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 that we're in a rather deteriorating mobility environment. I think, uh, uh, overall, things are deteriorating from a number of factors, you know, from, a, from a, the perspective of a blind traveler. One being, you know, I, I spend a fair amount of time bucking around at the archives at the Seeing Eye, looking at the old films and old videos and so on and so forth. And one of the cool things about that is that you can look at uh, film of Morristown, because, you know, we make publicity videos every decade. Oh, that maple and, tree they uh, cut down. Oh, shame, shame, shame. 
Well, for example, but I mean, you all, but that, that's, that's the, the least of it, you know. Yeah. I mean, you, every decade, you, you're, you're looking at the changing infrastructure around you. You know, I mean, from, from in the 30s where, where all the awnings on South Street were, you know, five foot three. And you had to do all that overhead work. Oh, wow. To the fact that back then there were, there was no ADA that said things had to be above uh, a certain height. Um, there were signs the same, you know, the, the, the prevalence of overheads in those days was, was huge compared to what it is now. And, uh, uh, on, on the, on the positive side, there were high curbs then everywhere. Now they're all gone. So, you know, flush, so that, and that's one part of a deteriorating, uh, sort of infrastructure from the point of view of access because you have the high curbs are gone and everything's flushed now, uh, or, or more or less flush. And, and that's a good thing, of course, as a net gain for a lot of people who, who need that, uh, uh, that accommodation. And the textbook warnings, of course, have helped quite a bit, but it's not quite the same. Uh, and, you know, when you combine that with, with quiet cars, you know, and the fact that cars have gotten so much quieter and are getting quieter still, and when you combine that with, with, with design changes, which, which overall from a society's, from society's point of view are a net gain, uh, so you know that, for example, roundabouts, which are can be quite difficult for for blind pedestrians, are are a net gain to society because they reduce accidents and injuries and fatalities at intersections, but can make it quite a bit harder to get across some major intersections if they're, if they're converted into roundabouts. Uh, and beyond that, shared space design, which uh, is is coming a little, little more slowly here in the United States, uh, partly because of the ADA, I think. Uh, than it is in, in other places. But, for example, Portland, Oregon has, has elements of, of shared space design, and they're talking about that kind of change. Uh, are, are, you referring to, are you referring to multimodal transportation where you have bicycles, trains, and cars in the same area? Is that what you're... Well, bicycles, bicycles trains, uh, and pedestrians. Right. And cars in right. the same area with, with very little delineation of... Uh, or, or differentiation between the various areas where where what happened and they reduce signage so to force drivers to be cautious through uh, just sort of a natural caution rather than having a sense of, of uh, entitlement to go in a certain direction because there's a traffic light and a sign that says you can. So, I mean, there's a large movement in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, and in the, and in the United States towards shared space design. And I think ultimately all of these things are going to result in changes in in the way guide dogs are trained and the way people who are blind uh, travel. And uh, you got these um, walking texters that are like nightmares from you know where because they they don't they don't look oh, up. Yeah. And I got slammed into by one the other day, which which um, was kind of cool because she actually dropped her phone because of it, and I was like, ha. But yeah, anyway, <laughs> no, you're absolutely true. I was on a absolutely right. I, I was on a college campus uh, uh, a few months ago. And of course, dog guides very commonly work somewhat left of center. Uh, and, uh, the, uh, we were walking on the campus and if there were a group of people coming towards us, you were fine. But if it was a single individual, the dog, the fellow I was working with, the dog happened to be working somewhat left. And of course, everybody else was walking right, staring at their phones. And it was an experience unlike anything I've ever had before. Uh, just how many people sort of went, ah, jumped out of the way or, 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 you know, that type of thing. Absolutely phenomenal. It's really a very significant change in the environment indeed. Where, where you can see, where you can hear a whole group of people talking and you're thinking they're talking to themselves, but they're, I mean, they're talking to other people, but they're really all talking on their phones and it's kind of spooky. It is very strange. 
So you know, again, again, I, I, my 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 perception is that the the pedestrian environment is changing overall. Uh, there are some positive aspects to it. Uh, for example, the uh, the increasingly more common accessible pedestrian signal, uh, which is is basically just a little bit of an equalizer, you know, in in terms of uh, w- what's happening with design. But but overall, I think the environment uh, from a pedestrian point of view, generally and especially for a, a blind pedestrian, is is deteriorating, and and I think it, it's going to have an impact in 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 lots of ways, some big and some subtle going forward for sure maybe i could leave the gdui users who are listening with uh, what is the newest frontier that you guys are working on in training you know we 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 use um we use clicker training sparingly uh and food sparingly uh in in the way we approach stuff we we you know we uh we we do uh, some targeting work with our dogs and and uh i think that that uh uh we, we've used it to improve our country work to, to great effect in our training process, not in, in what we ask our students to do. But we've been quite slow to, to get on that particular bandwagon. Uh, we've, we've adopted, adopted it where we thought it helped us and, and our, you know, just, and, but basically we, we, we didn't feel it was terribly broke and we don't really feel a need to fix it. Well, Lucas, I'll let you go. Thank you very much. People really look up to your, you, you know, you and Michelle Pouliot are two of the, you know, real top-notch uh, instructors, and they, you know your stuff. So, I appreciate it. Well, thanks. It's really, I'm really sad to, to see, see that Michelle is retiring in July. That's a, a huge, huge loss of the field, and uh, she's a good friend and uh, has been a, a, a mentor to me, and in, in many ways. And I just admire the heck out of her. So, uh, you know, certainly, let me take this opportunity to, to wish her all the best. Thank you, Lucas. All right. And some breaking news that we have received, actually, while we've been recording the GDUI Juno Report. Uh, just announced today, the, Depart- the uh, U.S. Department of Transportation, DOT, has announced its final rule on traveling by air with service, service animals. This final rule amends the Department's Air Carrier Access Act, ACAA, regulation on the transportation of service animals by air. Quoted from the website https colon slash slash www.transportation.gov slash individuals slash aviation dash consumer dash protection slash final dash rule dash traveling dash air dash service dash animals. You didn't think I could get through that, did you? This final rule is intended to ensure that our air transportation system is safe for the traveling public and accessible to individuals with disabilities. The full PDF can be downloaded from this same link, but here are some changes. The final rule defines service animal as a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of a person with a disability. No longer considers an emotional support animal to be a service animal. Requires airlines to treat psychiatric service animals the same as other service animals. 
allows airlines to require forms developed by DOT attesting to a service animal's health, behavior, and training, and if taking a long flight, attesting that the service animal can either not relieve itself or can relieve itself in a sanitary manner. Allows airlines to require individuals traveling with a service animal to provide the DOT service animal forms up to 48 hours in advance of the date of the travel if the passenger's reservation was made prior to that time. Prohibits airlines from requiring passengers with a disability who are traveling with a service animal to physically check in at the airport instead of using the online check-in process. Allows airlines to require a person with a disability seeking to travel with a service animal to provide the DOT service animal forms at the passenger's departure gate on the date of travel allows airlines to limit the number of service animals traveling with a single passenger with a disability to two service animals, allows airlines to require a service animal to fit within its handler's foot space on the aircraft, allows airlines to require that service animals be harnessed, leashed, or tethered at all times in the airport and on the aircraft continues to allow airlines to refuse to tra- transportation to service animals that exhibit aggressive behavior and that pose a direct threat to the health or safety of others and continues pr- to prohibit airlines from refusing transport to transport a service animal solely based on breed Okay, Uh, the final rule will be effective 30 days after date of publication in the Federal Register. So, as you know, many of us made comments on this rule, and uh, we'll see how this works out as the airlines uh, work out their processes for enforcement of the new rule. Um, I think the most controversial part for most people is going to be the continued requiring of forms or the option for airlines to require forms. And I think that is still going to be a very controversial issue for many service animal users. And uh, I am still wondering how I will get my dog to attest on a long flight that she will not need to relieve. But, oh well, we will see how this carries out over time, and we'll have more on this topic, I'm sure, in future editions of the GDUI Juno Report. Meanwhile, that wraps up the Juno Report for this edition for the holidays. We hope you have a very wonderful holiday season and give lots of love to your dog for us. We will be looking forward to seeing you again in January and As always, if you have contributions that you would like to suggest for the Juno Report, please don't hesitate to bring them forward. We welcome uh, suggestions, ideas, and contributions. You've been listening to the Juno Report, 
brought to you by Guide Dog Users Incorporated, a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. The Juno Report is a monthly audio magazine featuring all things guide dogs, training programs, and items of general interest to guide dog teams. We welcome your feedback, ideas, and suggestions. Get in touch with the Juno Report by emailing junoreport at guidedogusersinc.org. Again, that email address is juno, J-U-N-O, report at guidedogusersinc.org. Until next month, this is Deb Cook-Lewis with the Juno Report saying, be good to your dog. 